Okay. How are you? Good. Great session. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. It was. It was. You know, really good. Well done, moderators. Well done, speakers. That was that was fantastic. There were a lot of questions that yeah, uh, could have been discussed more, and uh, but of course, I mean, <laughs> we did our best, but there's still not enough time. Were there any questions which you thought you know we should have spent spent longer on? The workload has increased enormously, not not just as a result of the, the globalization of IVF and the number of patients who are being treated, but also the throughput of material and specimens through the labs is, I would say, almost doubled without really any proper thought towards the, um, the resource that's required to process those samples. So I think that that's an area that, that, you know, we're quite interested in trying to find solutions for, as David said as well, it's not just about the sexy stuff it's about how do we underpin the safety elements of that and how do we dig in those drainage ditches because that that for me is one particular area where i can see the potential for quite a large number of mistakes no i mean that's why stickers are just not good enough yeah (laughs) sorry okay i mean um Really? That's what we have to look forward to in the future? <laughs> I mean, to put stickers on and with the glue going inside our incubators? I don't know. Uh, well, I think there have been uh, the, the glues, the glue, I mean, Matt will tell you the, the glue situation. That has been that has been studied, of course, in, in detail. It's safe. Yeah. It's, it's safe. I, I'm absolutely not going to sit here and, and defend the use of stickers because we, we absolutely see there's got to be a better way. Uh, and what we're developing, well, we're, we're often asked in terms of witnessing to develop ways of being able to, to identify um, individual samples throughout an entire process. So, for instance, biopsy for PGT, where you, you need to be able to match the multi-weld culture dish number to its corresponding biopsy dish, to its corresponding PCR tube, and then separately in a different process to its corresponding vitrification dish and vitrification device so that everything matches together. Now we can do that in practice, but but the reality of doing that with stickers, that's, that's the big question mark for me. Are people actually gonna be prepared to sit and label all of this stuff? Um, so- well, the thing is, yes, I mean, you mentioned that, but also, you know, when we always talk about this topic, people, apart from this session, you know, always ask about what about like this stop in the chain of custody, which is around, you know, the embryo biopsy. It's, it's almost become like a, like a trick question where people, you know, ask about that, you know, well, where's the traceability in the biopsies? But um, when we are trying to streamline things, and you're mentioning about you know, staffing levels, staffing levels, a hell of a lot of time is taken every day with people adding the stickers to it. So, you know, they're in the preparation, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah. So, yes, there's all the negative things about the stickers, but, you know, it's very time consuming as well. That's the, that's the thing. They have, to, they have to label them in preparation. And then, of course, the, the actual scanning of the barcode is easy, but, you know, it's, it's again the preparation, I think. But yeah, how about an, sure. a voice uh, system where where this, the uh, reader reads the name of the patient, says, "You have, you know, Jane Smith dish," you know, <laughs> I mean, so you don't have to uh, show uh, the, those 
the barcodes, which are not readable by humans, uh, and then uh, read the name of the patient, actually, which is what we do uh, with the human. Uh, what I'm saying is that, uh, yes, I realize that this is what we have now, and it's much better than the human uh, witness, perhaps, in some cases. Uh, but uh, is this what we have to look forward to? And oh, I think the answer is no. no that, I, I, but I, I don't, agree have, with you, I don't know what you would have. Definitely, I agree with you. I think that uh, I hope that there will be a redundant, redundancy stage where the labels will be used, probably a combination of voice. But, and, and, you, and you all know that I am completely biased, but I believe that the future of witnessing is going to do with. Uh, computational vision and artificial intelligence. Right. If we uh, think about, let's say, uh, machine learning and, and videos, and you want to teach a, um, a computer to understand what is going to happen next in the video, and you have a glass of water, and then you teach that the glass is going to fall, at some point the computer is going to anticipate and is going to generate images of the future to predict what may happen based on a scenario. So for example, we're working on that. We're trying to generate uh, images of the future of, of this specific embryo. Mm. What is going to happen? How is this going to look after an intervention in the hope that this will be, uh, or will allow us to generate an AI-based witnessing system. So I think that that hopefully will be the future. Yeah, that absolutely. was a to topic on the last X-ray as well. If you, if you select an embryo, from time lapse and you transfer it, uh, it should be the same embryo. So with, with deep learning, uh, uh, identifying your embryo based on key parameters, the amount of cells, uh, the, the coloration of the cells, the fragmentation of the cells, uh, they all have spots that are remarkable like fingerprints for the embryo. If you have a system recognizing them, you, it, the system will tell you, okay, the embryo selected is the same embryo at transfer as the one you selected. So. I think that's one of yes. the ways going forward as well. Yeah, of taking it down to the microscopic mm -hmm. subcellular level. Uh, and, and also robotics as well. I mean, let's not forget, automating the process could involve ro robotic you know, processing of samples, which doesn't actually require a label because it's a machine that's, that's working on a, a, using a set of coordinates to transfer the material instead. And there's been a lot of discussion around what we would call black box technology, where you put your sperm and your eggs in one end and you get your, your fantastic, uh, you know, superior embryos come out of the other end um, and they get funneled into the patient without any human intervention whatsoever. Now, that's possibly the future. I think we're a long way off that. Uh, we, used to, because of... we used to call that Jacques in a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does sort of concern me is that there is always this certain amount of dexterity still required for processing um, gametes and embryos. So for instance, how do you denude the eggs or how do you strip the embryos? How do you make those selections and manipulate uh, through micro manipulators? But you know, then you say, well, what about microfluidics? That could perhaps do the job of that. How do we pass samples through a serial dilution of cryoprotectants to, um, to optimize the vitrification process? Well, yeah, again, the theoretically relatively simple thing to do using automated systems. But I think it's the practical application, I think is the real challenge there. I think we're, a, I personally think we're a lot further from that than perhaps some people think we are. 
Yeah, I know. I agree with that. I think we are decades away from it um, to have full robotics and autonomy. That will be half a century, I think. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, that's good enough. I mean, it will happen. Yeah. But just uh, not, not all of us here will. Most of you will witness it, but you know, not all of us. So yeah, it's 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 unfortunate if you look at microfluidics. That's now been twenty five years. Yeah. And the progress, the progress is really very, very, very slow. And what the fit, automatic fitification devices do is basically what Hamilton preparators have been doing in blood laboratories for, for 30, 40 years already, just on a, on a more microscopic level, on a, on a smaller volume level. So there is nothing really what can, at this point, replace human dexterity. Just moving eggs and embryos around is extraordinarily difficult to replicate robotically. But I think the big, big elephant in the room here today was, and what we need a session about, Charles, in my opinion, is the EMR. Because the EMR is, uh, you know, this is where we spend 50% of our time, at least clinicians do. Clinicians in, uh, in different fields spend 50% of their time sitting behind the EMR system, processing patient data and getting it to the system, knowing where they are, who do they see, what do they have to do, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the same for nurses, obviously, and to some extent, the same for embryologists. So we're, we're wasting a lot of time on EMRs and how, how what, what, are, what is needed? What do we need to innovate there? Well, one thing is the keyboard. That is really, you know, the keyboard slows us down. Um, you know, we need, to, we need to come up with innovative ways of moving that process along. And really, EMR is our bottleneck. If we can get around that, it's tiring. You know, clinicians complain about it. They get tired. Um, you know, they, they have difficulties finding out what they were doing just a minute ago. Um, and uh, that, that, I think, is the elephant in the room. Today, uh, today, what all these applications show is that EMR hasn't touched on these things. And so others have, have had to become creative and found ways around it. Um, it, it. It's integration here with the EMR that is necessary. So that the redundancy that was pointed out by Unigan and Mina, that the redundancy is uh, alleviated because it is a pain in the neck to always put in the same information in different systems. Um, you know, it's, it struck me that, that your lab at Norswell had all these systems actually never realized how complicated that, that whole network is. And it's probably pretty unique um, for any lab, I would think. But obviously none of these systems uh, link. Now, IMT Matcher actually is a system that is open to link with anybody. And is already linked to three, four, five. I don't know, Matt, how, how many EMRs you're linked to, but you're already linked. And, and I know you're open to it. I, I think our little system, particularly Reflections, is open to linking. But, you know, Reflections is not a system that uh, follows the patients through, although it can indirectly. It just uh, um, manages instrumentation. It's, in a way, a broader system than, than Ziltrix. Also, Ziltrix, um, with all due respect, Siltrix has promised linking several years ago, and as far as I know, isn't linked to anybody and isn't ready to link. It's uh, it's ready to link now. I mean, it's uh, ready to link. Okay, we, we're we're currently talking to the people from Siltrix and from our uh, EMR to see if we can find the link. And which I mentioned in my talk, we're trying to see if if the information we have in the EMR about in which incubator the patient's the material is, if we right. can link that and combine it to have Siltrix tell us okay. Well, 
there's an alarm in his incubator, but okay. I learned from the other system that there, there's no patient information of um, material inside. For the, the continuous monitoring system like Ziltrix, now I, when I was setting this place up and thinking about integration and automation as much as possible, um, I thought that it would be useful to integrate uh, Ziltrix. I now have my doubts about that because to what end? I can tell you for IMT Matcher, getting the demographics of the patient into the IMT Matcher from our EMR is extremely important. And so, you know, that integration is critical. Even, for instance, a lot uh, number analysis, etc. So IMT Matcher does it. IVFQC uh, has that feature, you know, we need to make sure that it's a single place where we enter the data and we're able, and then our EMR system. So, you know, there's three different places. Um, uh, and, and the last thing I want to say is this idea that uh, it's very easy that, that paper is obsolete in the IVF lab not quite, okay, no. we're not there yet. We can't in real time enter our observations of fertilization, development, uh, how many eggs did we inject, how many eggs did we, uh, how many embryos did we hatch, etc., etc. We can't simultaneously do the procedure and enter the data. Uh, so unless you have a subscriber, it was but you know you need four arms to do it. Yeah, so you know, two for the You can say that, but it's yeah. uh, in practice we still have to enter uh, data on paper and then transfer that onto our uh, EMR. Not to mention the fact that EMRs uh, half of them don't accommodate half the things we are writing down. So, you know, yeah, and I think that's easier it, it, said than implemented. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yes, and we are evolving. And obviously, some of the same things I said were, were slightly controversial on purpose to get people thinking, because it's it's often the end user that drives the developers. It pressurizes the developers to enhance the products. So certainly, a lot of our work has been driven by our end users. So we have development forum meetings regularly with our customers and partners to say, you know, what is wrong what can we do better what how can we develop further um how can we integrate further i mean importing patient details is relatively simple we do that with with everybody and anybody who wants it but it's what we do beyond that which is really going to be fascinating i have i, I have a suggestion that i am open to hear what you think so i think that as we talk about integrating all these different systems we could take an example of what has happened during the pandemic with um audits and the auditor comes in and basically says they want to do a tracer and if we look at the traces that we're doing we're really pulling an aspect of all these different applications in order to present a full package to the um auditor so if we take out the patient from the equation and basically follow those same steps, then that really gives us a, a web of how these different applications need to be integrated in order for us to work with it in, in a constructive way. Yeah, that's a very good point, Nika. I think it is true. These tracers that the auditors ask us for, they take a patient 
the patient cycle and they start from A and they want to go all the all way, way to Z yeah. and they want to see everything. They want to yep. see quality control. They want to see lots of management. They want to see uh, witnessing. They want to see everything. So it's interesting if you think about it that way and you um, uh, deconstruct the process in that way and, and kind of put it into a, a, a workflow, uh, then uh, I think uh, it's a good way to understand what systems need to be integrated now. One of the interesting things was about the drift though. Mm -hmm. That slide which caught my eye, which went far too quickly, I thought. But you know, that was interesting. You know, when does drift, when does that give a, you know, like an alarm call out or so, which, which I think, not many people can actually answer that question for these daily logs. You know, the way we manage that, uh, Giles, with IVFQC, um, I've basically conveyed this idea to my team that looking at individual values has very limited um, limited value in terms of quality control. So anytime they see um, a value that is right at the edge of, uh, you know, the lower limit or the upper limit, I have encouraged and required that they go into um, uh, IVFQC, generate a fluctuation report for the past week and see where, uh, whether we are drifting. Because, uh, you know, that is how we determine whether we take a corrective action or not. And this has been very, very effective, very effective. So now they come to me with, we got a low value today, but the past few days, they have, it's been stable. So we're going to give it one more day. And I say, fine. Or the opposite, you know, this, we've been going down. For the past several days, we're going to change it. So, you know, that is the approach. That is the key to uh, catching this. But that, that should be automated, though. That should be automated. I mean, it's algebra yeah. because that is algebra. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. uh, I mean, and we, it would be nice. We've talked okay. about this before, Jacques, about sure. getting alerts sure. when you see uh, the, yeah. the downward or upward trend. Yeah, it's on our list. It's on our wish list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming back to the drift, and that's indeed, if you have the, the gradual drift, that's easy to find out, and you can see the trend that it's going down. There's the other kinds of drift as well. The, the sudden drift is, is quite difficult. Basically, it means your machine breaks down, and all of a sudden there's, no, there's a power failure, right. or the heating element in your either incubator, refrigerator, whatever, has been broken down or doing an element. That's sudden. Most of the time, uh, you hope to have predictions in advance that you can see something that is coming through the, the noise, so you get spikes or uh, different, well, anomalies that warns you. But that's indeed, it's algebra, it's, it's knowing what is normal, knowing what the noise is, and any deviation should be mentioned as an early warning uh, to prevent the dramatic warning. So going back to uh, EMRs, I believe that the question that was asked uh, about the fear of outdated soft software is very legitimate in the sense that a lot of EMRs are very, very old. And some are very unfriendly when someone approaches and tries to connect. 
IVF centers, we are so invested in these EMRs because we have been working with them for many years. We have so much information that we are just naturally reluctant to let them go. And the fear when anyone approaches us, I'm, I'm talking as a, the clinical director for, for an IVF center, when anyone new approaches us, it's like, oh, no. I mean, <laughs> how long is this going to last? <laughs> Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm always yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. And I'm always quite yeah. Yeah. yeah, we need to. You need to complain more. I'm quite surprised at that because we we don't ever seem to to get any leniency when it comes to no, no, you know, no, underdeveloped. No, you're an inviting guy. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. should introduce you to some of the EMR guys. Then you'll learn that you know you keep all that criticism away. Oh, I suppose yeah. When all so, of the so fight, they, they when all of the fights to, gone they complain to to everybody, including me, but that. <laughs> You know, users don't go back to the, the, the original developers and and complain because they know they know anyhow that the, the machinery is slow because all these companies are very very small. All the EMR companies in our field are very small, yeah. and that means that if you ask for a change, well, first of all, the change is an assessment, and you will have to pay for it. Um, secondly, um, they'll say three months. Well, double or triple that. It's like building a house. Or, renovating a kitchen you know always double the time that it takes and that's the same for an emr change it will it will take two three times longer simply not because they they don't like you or anything like that it's just because they're overwhelmed by with requests uh, more requests than they have coders to take care of and really that's to take care of all these issues I think that's really is what the, what the problem is. Yeah. And also it's, it's complicated, you know, there's a, a single system that has to accommodate maybe 20, 30 users or clinics, sometimes a hundred. And, uh, and how do you adapt that? And that's because, let's go on with Alejandro's comment that they are outdated. Well, it is outdated and I now have to make the change to become systems that where each clinic can make the changes themselves. You know, we, we have the, the system we developed and it's still in development because you, you never stop developing is uh, had the advantage that we came late. Yeah. And, and so we could make use of contemporary systems, first of all, be cloud-based uh, and secondly, you know, introduce, uh, you know, custom development yourself so that you don't have to go back to developers. But that's difficult for existing EMRs where, you know, you have to accommodate it and you can but it's time consuming and expensive. Mm. And I think yes. it's a catch 22 as well, because you, th these mm -hmm. companies will not become bigger and stronger if, if they don't have a larger customer base. So it also requ requires the users to adopt and have faith in the technologies, which then drives progress. Yeah. I guess it's sort of fortune favors the brave. Hard. It's so, very hard, yeah. Yeah, electronic witnessing, something as sort of uh, as, as vital as that has still only really been adopted by no more than 6% of the entire industry. So it's, oh, okay. there's a lot of people still need to, but the more yeah. people invest in that idea and that concept, the more we'll be able to rapidly invest that money back into the development of the system. That 6%, is that, is that a worldwide figure or is that Western? Western yeah, that's a worldwide figure, really that's based on on based on the total number of cycles worldwide. But if you look at certain territories like US, for instance, just in the last two years, there's been a massive shift towards the adoption, and I think that's just because people are a people are being beginning to realise that it makes sense, and b because there are too many mistakes. So it's uh, and and those mistakes will continue to increase unless uh, people put safety measures in place. So that's good, but it's always a hard sell. It's, uh, but yeah. you know, it takes a new product to uh, take seven years for as a minimum. 
um, you know, nothing goes fast. And sometimes it takes 10, 20 years. In your case, being a pioneer out there, you were the first, I think, right? Well, we always said uh, if we knew then what we know now, we, we would never have bothered. Would <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have used the money to buy a hotel or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would it be easier? Um, I mean, part of the reason <laughs> it's uh, you don't see the electronic witnessing systems being picked up uh, by more people is that a lot of people still don't witness, okay? Yeah, I mean, that is yeah. the reality. Yeah. Uh, in uh, many, many laboratories, there is not a good process in place for witnessing. Uh, I challenge you to find, you know, 10 laboratories that have protocols and SOP like we have, explaining how witnessing is done for each procedure that we do in the lab. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it okay. would make our life a lot easier if they could hand over an SOP to help us develop the process maps. By the way, I have. I have right. to you. Okay. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, you're right, you're right about, I mean, you're right about, you know, obviously there are, you know, clinics which aren't, aren't witnessing, but there's others who will say on a cost base, they'll say, well, why get this system where I'll just get another embryologist or something like that and that's why there was a question which, which was asking about you know how do you equate using like a a witness system uh, in your plan because some people weigh up that they say well it'll cost this much or do you want an extra staff member you know which is really ridiculous because the you know the ease of using one of these systems one of these electronic systems um you know really is peace of mind and you've still got to call someone over from the other side of the lab. You've still got to, you know, ask that. But yeah. also the data is there that if you have a, a human witness system, yeah, the true. data is there that, that uh, electronic almost, systems are safer. That's almost so, more important. Know, than, you know, it's, yeah, it's about being able so, to prove that you have not made a mistake yeah, rather than yeah. prevent you from making the mistake in the first place. It's sort of say yeah. what you do, do what you say and prove it is really what needs to be drilled into the the industry but it's definitely moving in that direction i think you mentioned giles that the, the industry as a whole is becoming more highly regulated and that's definitely the case as people learn and take examples from other safety critical organizations you know people watch this from all over the world and it may not apply to them now but it's coming their way and that goes for you know the work which is done on like qc which is spoken about you know the electronic witnessing you know and the monitoring so maybe it's not affecting many people now and it's not mandatory and it's you know in many countries it is but it's you know it's coming their way and that's why people are watching you know i3 from all over the world i think i mean i think that if you give away only two weeks of the witnessing system and then you take it away they will learn the value and that happened to us they didn't give it away for us but uh we were working with a different company and the the company just changed hands for different reasons they stopped sending us labels and my life my lab director used to complain all the time about sticking the labels he used to complain all the time one day without the system he knocked on my door and said Alejandro I have to get it back but why you don't like it I couldn't sleep but you don't have to love the systems you just have to to need them I think <laughs> that's my point he doesn't love yeah. it but like married. he understood the, <laughs> the difference it made. Well, thanks again, everybody. I think we can keep going and going on this. Yeah, that's great, yeah. Yeah, I th I'm sure the audience really, really like a lot of concerns about data monitoring. This is great. Yeah, perhaps with this, this introduction, we can, yeah, we talk more. Absolutely. Instead of open ears. Yeah. Thank thanks you. for everything, Giles. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.